Hey, hey, this is Brian Crescenti. And I'm Tony Bernhardt Jr. And we're joining you with another episode of This is Level Infinite. It's inevitable. Whether it's by plague, natural disaster, war, or something more creative, humanity is going to come to a dark, dark end. It is? Ah, geez. Okay, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least that's what a seemingly endless parade of television shows, movies, and, of course, video games would have you believe. The creativity found in this particular flavor of apocalyptic fiction is often embedded in just how we will all end, what triggers the end times. In the case of Saint by Next Studios, it's technology, hubris, and the cloud that brings it all to a screaming end or pretty darn close. Synced is the upcoming player versus player versus environment game, basically a co-op shooter that pits you against both another team of players and a very hostile world inhabited by even more hostile enemies. And it's not just the studio's next game. If things go as planned, it will be their next franchise, a massive creative endeavor born of Synced, which will spawn future creations, including games and maybe a bit of non-interactive fiction. Ooh, what, like TV, movies, comics, action figures? Sure, why not? Well, okay, maybe. Actually, I don't I don't really know. I, okay. I just am dreaming. But it's all certainly possible. You see, this is Next Studio's first really big original IP, and they're creating it hoping that something can live on past this initial game, Synced. Yeah, it's a pretty great story. Yeah, and that really shouldn't be surprising. The narrative director behind the game is Kevin Short, a guy who was the lead writer on some of Ubisoft's most interesting titles like Watch Dogs, a couple of the Far Cry games, and he was the narrative director on For Honor. I asked him to walk us through Sync's basic premise. Synced is this game that said there's a nanotech collapse that threw the entire planet into chaos. Out of that chaos came this place we call the Meridian. It's ground zero of this collapse. It's this sealed off region of about 500 square miles in Washington state. And fortune seekers that we call runners have converged here for a chance at a rare nano product called Nerva. It's basically the gold of our world. And every one of these runners enters the Meridian to face the fiercest nanos and claim this Nerva and ultimately to face their own demons. I think man versus machine is absolutely one of our key uh, themes we're touching on. You know, there's hubris in the whole backstory of Synced, right? They came up with this Morpheus chip, which is this, uh, like a BCI that they created, which is the ultimate tech. It's the dream tech that people want. It's the internet ramped to a thousand kind of thing, or the iPhone ramped to a thousand, but it's embedded. And so people love it, but there's hubris because, of course, it ends up turning on humanity and leads to this giant collapse. And yet still... You're battling these nanos, you're trying to fight back these nanos, and yet at the same time, you're using them to battle them. So as much as you're trying to contain them, to shut them down, you still have to contend with them. You still have to uh, work with them. And so that's an ongoing theme, I think, in everything we do. A lot of the mystery that unravels in our game comes from this, what we call the Mimir network, which is this hub that was the heart of the Morpheus chip. And within that, you find lost data and lost memory fragments that tell you the story of the world. The Morpheus chip, a revolutionary implant that bridged biological and digital. Soon they found a way to rearrange matter, but it went wrong. 
We were surrounded by Nanos, and they turned on us. Billions of lives lost, the world we knew, over. So you take on the role of a fortune-seeking runner. In each round, you team up with two other players, equip yourself, and then drop into the Meridian, where you fight it out against other teams and nano-infested humans. I think for us, what's cool is we're trying to go, okay, so we've got these nanos which are not sentient, they're just feeding on instinct, and yet within the Meridian, this ground zero of the collapse where the tech is everywhere, but it's corrupted tech, it's chaotic tech, I guess, in a way. And within that chaos, there is a sense, and that's what players are going to realize as they go, there is a sense that there might be something more out there than something just reacting on instinct. Something has kind of generated itself out of this Grey Goo event. I love the ideas behind this game. I mean, look at where we're at today in the real world, right? We've got Elon Musk talking about brain-computer interface chips, which I've already pre-ordered. <laughs> and we upload basically everything into the cloud, whatever that is. And we're always plugged into smartphones and computers that know more about us than our best friends or family. Yeah, you know, the potential prescience of this story reminds me of Watch Dogs when it came out. If you didn't play it, Watch Dogs story was about how susceptible society is to hackers and how, in effect, the next big war will be fought online. It also dealt a lot with privacy and something called Little Brother, which is basically the willingness people have to donate their privacy to their tech. Is there a game you haven't played? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> So before Synced got its story, or really even its name, it was really just a tech demo over at Next Studios. Clark Jiang Young, the game's creative director, told us that it actually started with a thought experiment. It's a very interesting story, actually, to start with. The project was starting on some uh, technical breakthroughs that we have uh, made it that a massive number of AI can work perfectly with a multiplayer environment. You know, in other type of games, we do see, say, uh, four players co-op with a huge number of AI. That's no problem. That can be handled. But we can support something to 60 players with also a thousand number of AI. So that is something that we say, okay, we got that tech, what we can do with it. Then we start to play around with this idea and then trying to have some PvP and PvPVE environment for the player. So they created this demo that they packed with a bunch of AI and a lot of players. And it was a ton of fun, but also a bit too hectic. Imagine that environment that you have to defeat the rival players, which a lot already. At the same time, there are also tons of enemies, AI enemies around you that you know going to hurt you as well. So it's very chaotic. This might not be the best gameplay experience that we want to bring to the player. The team also had this notion of facing enemies that are driven by AI. So, like, if you think about it, it would stand a reason, right, that they would synchronize their memories and knowledge into the cloud or some central computer or whatever. Right. So now, what if you were able to essentially hack one of those enemies and control it? You could, in theory, get access to information from all of the enemies because that info is shared through the cloud. Yeah, I, and that's such a cool idea. I also suspect that's probably where the title comes from. Yeah, so you're not only in control of one of these nanos, but also plugging in some portion of the enemy network. Yeah, and it was those two core ideas, this massive AI versus player battles and sinking into enemies for information and control, that became the core conceit for the game. 
the first demo we did back in the day, when we first showed this idea where once you kill an enemy and then you kind of synchronize with it, the enemy will be becoming yours. Then the uh, you can you'll be able to control a crowd of enemies that are gonna work for you. And everyone was uh, you know in love with this idea and seeing oh my god this is something new this is something like really cool. Okay, and then we started working from there. And this system, this whole unique gameplay experience we call Synced, it started to uh, you know iterate from itself like from one version to another. Now, of course, like most concepts, the idea evolved over time. Clark said that the team had to make some hard decisions early on and really pivot, because despite being a wonderful idea, it didn't help tame the overly chaotic nature of some of the gameplay sessions. Yeah, so basically they trimmed what sinking with an enemy would grant and cut down on those numbers. Eventually, they landed on only being able to control one nano as you play and also reduced the body count down from 60 players in a match with 1,000 AI nanos. Because players were now controlling a single nano, the developers also decided to make those nanos more of a companion and build out specific archetypes designed to influence a player's tactical choices during a match. At the moment, we have four types of companion nano, crusher, suppressor, guardian, and seer. And just by the name, you can tell that they all have different preferences, right? Because the crusher is a, uh, a giant robot that crush everything, super high health, and uh, really push the enemy out. And the suppressor, the suppressing fire, and the fire rate is high. From a long range, you can really pin down the enemies. And the guardian is uh, literally can form a shield in front of player, and then can stop the bullet from the rival, and can really provide a uh, extra protection in the battleground. And finally, the seer is really a technician guy that can scan the area, mark where the enemy is, and then give you this information. That's really crucial information, right? And can even pin their location for you, so you will have a easier time to locate your enemy and then you know take them down. By this design, we started to have different combinations of uh, tactical gameplay. You know, when we play the game, you know, our game is a uh, a team play game that you have a uh, two other teammates with you. So it's a three man squad. Imagine a, a combination where one teammate is using Seer, another using Guardian, and then you're using Crusher, for example. And then you can really coordinate perfectly with each other. You know, the guy with the Seer can really just being the information guy, right? It's like, okay, there's the enemy on the 10 o'clock, and this and that. And then the Guardian can really form the shield, then protect all of you, not only the player himself. And then you can still send out the Crusher to really chase down the target. So these type of combinations is something we're looking for. So what we have, I think, is a very unique experience. It's still a shooter, but this shooter is not only rely on your shooting skill, but how to use your companion nano wisely, how to coordinate with your teammate becomes the key factor that's going to help you to win the game. Kevin said that the game's tagline, Weaponize Your Enemy, came from this idea of having a single nano you can control. Weaponize Your Enemy, which I really like. It describes it well. You know, you've got these nanos that are these feral nanos that sort of react on instinct, and you have to f constantly fight them in both PvE and PvP. 
But what's great about them is if you subdue them, you can effectively hijack them using a tech armband that every runner has. You hijack them, sync with them, which is where our title comes from, of course, and then they become a companion nano for you and they will follow your commands. And it's really great. There's different types of commands that they can do. They can reform on your arm and then you can have different abilities with your arm. Like it becomes this incredible powerful fist, you know, like almost like a nanite fist. You can send them to attack. They just respond to you in so many different ways, and you can upgrade them. Once you've synced with a nano, you can upgrade it during a match and make it more and more powerful, And which is great on your side. It's also terrifying when you're playing other runners and <laughs> their nano, which has been upgraded to the max, comes at you. You don't want that. But we found a way to sync with nanos. To control them. Now the remaining survivors are fighting back. Those of us left are trying to get on shuttles headed for the only safe place. Off-planet. And the tech that almost destroyed us... ...might just save us. Okay, so how's this work in action? Well, you're on the map fighting against the AI-controlled nanos, remember? Some of them are the type that you can weaken and then essentially hack. Right, and then once you hack them, they break down to their sort of nano components and wrap around your arm, kind of augmenting your melee attack. But you can also send them back to their natural form and give them basic field directions. So for instance, you might send the crusher right into the thick of battle or, or set up a suppressor nano on a ridge overlooking your battlefield so it can pick off enemies as you engage in close combat. And all of this is happening as you're struggling to gain control of the valuable drops, fighting off both AI nanos and, by the way, other teams. Yeah, you know, it's a lot to deal with tactically. It's chaotic but in a fun way. I can totally see why they felt the need to cut down on the headcount in a map, though, because I can't imagine how chaotic it was before they did that. Yeah, totally agree on that. So development on Synced started back in the spring of 2018, and a lot has happened over the past four years plus. Yeah, for instance, the studio was experimenting with some of their other tech while building Synced. So while Next Studios has made quite a few games, they also invest heavily in the tech that drives games as well. Some of the most fascinating work they do, I think, is in the realm of digital humans. So a digital human is essentially artificial-powered digital people. Right, but unlike the nano-creatures that take over the world in Synced, these digital humans have no physical form. Well, the creations are purely digital, but the technology and the people in the mocap suits are very real. Yes, so Next Studios is deeply invested in creating high-fidelity digital humans, and they've done some stunning work in that field. I was actually fortunate enough to see the unveiling of something called Project Siren live at the Game Developers Conference years back, and it was a chillingly realistic digital creation of a woman that they called Siren. You can actually check out videos of her online. But for me, what was so amazing is that I was, you know, sort of standing on the show floor watching this happen in real time. And, and it was essentially on the screen, this absolutely realistic woman. And on the show floor, standing there was a woman who was wearing this mocap suit who was able to basically talk and, and interact with the audience. And you could see everything she was doing in real time showing up on the screen as this digital human with just an unbelievable level of, of fidelity. So you could watch this actor say things and move around and hear her voice come out of Siren as she walked around inside this computer environment. 
That sounds so trippy. Yeah, you know, it was really mesmerizing. Since then, Next Studios has created a number of other digital humans, including Matt, Zheng, and most recently, Steven, a high-fidelity digital double of Tencent senior VP Stephen Ma. Oh, I didn't know that. Hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't. That's, yeah, that's... Hmm. Okay, so Next Studios was playing around with using the tech and synced, but it turns out it was too powerful for their purposes, at least the rich facial animation that the tech provides. But in the future, what we can do is uh, we have a lot of VO lines in the game. I think that we can looking forward to is with the VO lines that we're writing, we'll be able to generate super realistic facial animation automatically because we have a pool that have all those AI-driven animations from the facial. We're not there yet. I think there's something that, uh, you know, it could be really cool in the future. I think that uh, there's something that we can bring to the players. That said, the team was able to make use of some of the photogrammetry skills from the Siren team. The experience with the studio that worked on Siren gave us a lot of edge of building the realistic characters. You know, for example, you know, we have this kind of a photogrammetry lab that we set it up just, you know, literally 20 meters away from my seat. And that is the lab that a real human sent in the middle of tons of cameras then a couple shots from those cameras will be able to capture the detail of the facial structure, the skin detail, the hair, everything. And then very quickly, we'll be able to put that information into a game because we can see this kind of modeling technology with the Siren technology will be able to quickly craft the characters in the game that looks real and looks as familiar. And get this little piece of insider info. Clark told us that a lot of the non-player characters in the game are actually modified versions of the team's character artists. Wow. Yeah, they did their own cameos. They'd sit for a scan and then go in and modify their own faces to use in the game. I love that. They've got the story down. They've got the game scoped. Yep. They're incorporating some incredible technology. So what's next before release? Playtesting, of course. Lots of sometimes game-changing playtesting. Here, here's Clark again. You know, there's always a saying that for designers especially, is uh, we all have the curse of knowledge. You know, the curse of knowledge is our biggest enemy, in fact. We know every detail of the design. We know every detail of how a uh, ability is going to work. Then when we do our own playtest internally, it's just going to flow naturally because we know all the detail. However, as a player, they're going to see a different angle. They're going to see something that we don't see. They're going to feel something that there's some way that we don't feel. Then, from those kind of playtests, we had, I think we have, uh, you know, more than five major tests plus countless minor tests with external players. Every time we learn something new. Oh, this is how people going to use this ability. Oh, this is how they see this UI. And from those kind of countless feedbacks that uh, we get, we refine the game. And then even today, our internal designers and artists started to understand more and more from the other side of the angle. Those playtests led to a lot of changes, big and small. For instance, some changes completely overhauled the look of an element in the user interface, or shaved off tenths of a second off revive times when a player's knocked down. You know, I was a little surprised to learn that the playtesting also led to some changes in the game's characters, or at least one of them. Uh, here's Kevin Short again. 
It certainly impacts, like our heroes, they speak a lot in the game. And so uh, there's a lot of tuning of that. You know, what are players reacting to? What do they like? What do they not like? And there was one hero, though, who the fans just did not like the way he was delivering the performance. The actor was great. It was just the way it was written, the way he was doing it. He was a bit of a, um, like a preacher. This guy was a bit of a preacher. And uh, they just didn't like it. They didn't like him, all his preachery kind of vibe. He was like this, this hard-ass preacher, right? And so we took a look and we're like, oh, that's really interesting because as a character on his own, he was great. But what we realized was that it's different meeting a character who's like this preachery fighter. But it's something very different to be like, I'm embodying this hero. He is my character. And I'm listening to him being the preacher guy. And effectively, I'm being the preacher guy in this game. And he has these kind of lines that sound very much like a, like a preacher. Strike true, righteous fury. Let his might guide your hand. And so we thought, oh, that... That's the thing. It's one thing to experience him over there. It's another thing to actually play him. And so we rewrote that character. We kept the actor because the actor was amazing, but we rewrote him and sort of uh, repositioned him. In fact, I think we came up with a better character, which was really great. But that was a learning. It's like, okay, you can have these colorful, exciting characters, but sometimes you really have to make sure that is that a voice that the player wants to embody? Uh, Might have been a good character, and we may try to find a spot for that character, but not as a playable character, I think is the difference. And now we sort of took a look at him and reworked him. And now he's this, we call him the gambler. His name's Dead Cut. He's this gambler who's gambled his whole way through life. And he's come to the to what he considers to be the biggest game on the planet, which is the uh, the Meridian. And so now he's got this great kind of vibe of everything's a, a risk, a gamble. Uh, you're always taking chances, two sides of the coin kind of thing. And he's a lot of fun. I like him way better. Like I liked Dead Cut before, or we called him Brother Abel. He used to be Brother Abel. So I really liked Brother Abel, but I have to say that Dead Cut turned out to be great. Another big change was the decision to abbreviate the name of the game. Initially, it was called Synced Off Planet. But shortly after Kevin started working on it, the narrative team realized that the off-planet bit of the game didn't really make sense. At the time I was there, was the objective was, uh, you know, to get off the planet. But you know, as we were playing through it with Clark and a bunch of us, we were like, "You never do. You never get off. You know, it's like at any point, and nor do you want to get off." So we really sort of started, as a group, started challenging that idea and being like, "Is that really what we want?" And, and then we kind of felt that it was missing that element of mystery. What's pulling you in here? What's going to sustain us long term to really try to understand this world? And so that's where we decided, okay, we're going to change the core objective. Like, we don't want to get off planet. It's not part of the gameplay loop. We'll change that. But we also wanted to, that's where we created the Meridian. And we created this zone and said, okay, well, our game is taking place in this 500 square foot arena sort of we need this sense that there's something else happening in here. Uh, there's a bigger picture about why this collapse happened, who is behind this collapse. We've got this uh, giant arc in the sky, this space station in the sky, which was always there. That was there well before I came. And, and I was always like, oh, that's a great feature, you know? And it's a great mystery. You know, like, what is going on up there? Like, who's up there? Who are the people that are up there? We never see them. We know that people have fled up to this spot, but we don't know who they are. 
Uh, we know that some of them are responsible for the collapse, but we don't entirely know the full story of that. So they felt like there was a lot to mine in there and scratch at, you know, in terms of uh, puzzles for players to pull back. You know, it was really interesting talking to Kevin about his work on Synced, but also his time spent writing before he came on board for this game. I bet. I mean, here's a guy who's been writing games for more than a decade and a half, and before that, worked on TV. Yeah, you know, what I found fascinating is how he went from scripted TV to linear storytelling in mostly single-player video games to now writing for not just a multiplayer game, but one that will have seasons. Yeah, I actually flew to London to sit in on one of their voice actor sessions. And I gotta tell you, Brian, they have put a lot of work into the narrative experience in this game. The season approach is very much a bit of an episodic thing, isn't it? It's a condensed version of a season of a TV episode in a way. You have an overall theme that you have to go with for the season. Uh, this is the story theme, which then becomes the, you know, the theme for everything of the game. And then, yeah, you have to make sure there's an arc that the players can follow. They can feel like they're kicking off into a new adventure. And then there's resolution at the end of that. But it can't be the kind of resolution that shuts everything down and closes the story. It really just has to open up to a new puzzle that the players are curious about that will lead them into season two. And you really have to have this kind of long-term idea. You know, it's like there's going to be all sorts of adventures, but the game has to have a sense of, you know, there's Mount Doom way in the distance, and that's the ultimate goal. You may never get there. It may take long, long time to get there, but that's the ultimate goal. And so... The seasons are all the adventures that happen as you're heading towards Mount Doom kind of thing. Kevin said that as a writer, he's had to constantly evolve to keep up with the changes in the video game industry, which has grown a lot even in the 15 or so years he's been writing games. One of the first games I was on, we came up with this great story. It was a lot of fun, but it didn't really work for a game. And that was the big problem with it. And so, you know, that was obviously a learning. And then, you know, I moved to Watch Dogs and we started, you know, crafting better stories where the gameplay and the narrative are going hand in hand. That's obviously always key. You know, you're always looking for that. And in my first game, I didn't quite realize that. Where I'm at now with multiplayer games, it's very much you're no longer telling a single-player story. You know, For Honor and Watch Dogs are very much like that. Whereas uh, this is more, you want to find a way to tell a story that has long-term goals and evolves but is really, it's there for the player to find when they want to find it. It's less about pushing them down a narrative and really just laying it out like a big, a big blanket for them to, you know, to lie on and explore. And so that's been a thing that we've really been pushing in this game is trying to figure out, you know, this multiplayer game, we're quite a big open world map. The maps are quite huge compared to uh, more match-based games, like For Honor was a very, um, you know, small arenas. These are much bigger arenas, which was great for us because it gave us lots of opportunities to go, okay, there's places where we can hide the world lore and that players can go out and discover and explore. And so a lot of the lore becomes this thing that players find in whatever order they want, and yet it all still has to hold together and tease at a uh, bigger mystery which our game definitely has. And that's one of the things we're going to be exploring as we go through each of the seasons. Every season, you're going to learn a little more about one of the runners and what draws them here and what they see in the Meridian, which might be very different from what another runner sees in the Meridian. And what does that say about them? What does it say about the Meridian itself and what's out there? 
It sounds like there's a lot for the team to tap into, but currently their focus is split into two things, polishing up Sync for launch and preparing those early post-release seasons. Right, the plan is for Sync to launch with two player versus player modes and two player versus environment modes. One PVP mode supports four teams and a larger one will scale up to 10 teams, which would be 30 players. One PVE component will be a challenge mode while another will be a sector run mode meant to be like running through dungeons. The development team was actually running a play test when we were interviewing Clark, and you can actually hear the enthusiasm in the background. <laughs> yeah, we're super excited, and uh, you can feel the energy, right? Like even right now, people still play test in the game, even though we already 45 minutes past the play test time. People are still playing the game, so this is something shows that you know what our game got a got a quite a big potential, because if it's not fun, our own dev not gonna bother play. And I'm super confident, even though there's still a lot of work, and especially toward the launch, there's an endless problem that we have to solve, and that uh, is something we, uh, we, have to, we have to nail. So it's a lot of reviews, as you can imagine. We're just reviewing the builds. But in terms of long-term, yeah, the thing for us, we've got a rough map of the next four seasons, and we've got a detailed plan on season one. But So the next step for us is, okay, detailed plan on season two and season three. And so that's the, the main thing we're going to work on. You know, you want to try and lock it down as much as possible. Who are the new heroes? Who are the new runners that are going to appear in our world? And uh, what are the storylines that we want to follow each season? But at the same time, you want to keep it just open enough so that we can be agile when we see the reaction on uh, season one. But yeah, that's it. It's entirely getting ready for the seasonal plan. Because that's the thing, when you're in a pre-launch, things are very busy for sure. But then once you go live, once you've launched, you know, then you're just rolling. You're just going so fast. So we're trying to plan ahead as much as possible and give ourselves a good buffer so that when we go live, we're ready. That planning includes figuring out new levels, new bosses, new characters, and, of course, new nanos. The team is also looking at what kind of new gameplay modes they can roll out post-release. And don't forget, there's the story. Season by season, we need to expand our story. We need to deepen our lore and getting more mystery and development of the characters and the world by those updates. Because I think, you know, like a TV show, right? One episode is done, you're looking forward to the next episode next week because it's the hook of how the character is going to evolve, how the world is going to evolve. So that is something that, you know, is every season we'll be able to do something like that. And my goal is to seeing the world we're building evolving. And then after a couple of seasons, the world changed. After a couple of seasons, the whole protagonist changed. And I think this is the type of way that uh, I think that going to, you know, having more memory for the players that, uh, you know, they're going to experience alongside with our development. And I think this is something that also very unique to this type of game. And uh, we have a perfect platform for that. Kevin said that the Sync team is still debating about how long a season will run. But right now, it's between 10 and 12 weeks. He also noted that the game will have a battle pass that will help to guide you through those seasons. I'm really excited about what's coming up. We already shot some of our season one content, some of the mocap we started doing. We've started recording some of the performances and writing all of this stuff. And so, so I'm super excited. You know, as we're talking about Synced and really listening to Clark and Kevin talk about the bigger backstory and plans for multiple seasons, 
it really makes you understand just why they see this as something bigger than just a single game. You know, it almost feels like they scoped down the project because they realized they had so much to work with. But doing that didn't mean throwing away. Both Clark and Kevin said the team definitely sees potential in the synced universe that they're creating. We've already started discussions on how this can branch out. Clark and I worked on a whole pitch for ourselves just to, you know, just to start really going, where does this world go? You've got this nanotechnology that right now everyone's trying to harness and they haven't quite harnessed it. You know, in the future, there'll be a day where they do manage to harness it a bit. So what does that look like? Uh, right now we've got nanos that run around, we've got a nano fist. How else can that expand? How else can that grow? And then this sentient thing that's out there, where does that evolve? Where does that go? And we've got early ideas on whatever's out there in the meridian. We have a sense of where we want it to go and what we want it to do. There's a bit of feeling it out ourselves, right? We've got a clear path on where we want to go for the first four seasons. But, you know, with live games, you have to approach it quite differently than, say, a single-player experience. Single-player experience, you're kind of in a silo with your team and you can craft your story and... You know, you test it out, but you're basically on your own figuring it out, and then you present it to the world. But with a live game, you know, every time you put out new information, you know where you want it to go. But you're also looking at, oh, look at what the players are reacting to. Look at what they're connecting with. And that impacts how you approach the new material you're getting. You start seeing, here's a thread that they're really loving that perhaps we just we weren't really following at all. We thought, oh, it's an interesting little tidbit, but lo and behold, it's really piqued the interest of fans. So there's an open door that we can... And we tried to write things that way, in a way that if we see players getting pulled in a certain direction, we have the room to follow that without breaking anything. I think that's one of the exciting things about these kinds of live games. I see a lot of potential here. And the one interesting thing here, you know, like you played are beautiful for, you know, you see these kind of a crusher and uh, suppressors, those uh, nanos. A lot of internal developer was saying, hey, when are we going to make some figurine of those nanos that look super cool? See, that is precisely something that we want to move forward to because not only this type of, you know, side projects, right, figurines, toys, but even that there is a space that you can evolve into some, say, comic books, you know, all the settings, a lot of stuff that is possible. I think that is the main key that we want to bring something uh, from a smaller scale to a bigger scale, and even from bigger scale to a uh, platform that it can grow itself. The journey is very fascinating and interesting, even for us, but this one is super special. That's not only that uh, it's the first ever self-established IP in Next Studio, and also in Tencent, but as well as I think that this is something that is going to be able to have its own place in the industry for the time to come. Because uh, from our side, I think that uh, I'm super tired about those kind of sequels, remakes, remasters. If you look at the industry at the moment, that uh, people are eager to get something new, get some new IP. That is precisely what we're doing. However, this process is super, super hard. I don't know if I can swear on this channel, but you know, it's really, really hard. And as a developer, I think this is a challenge that we want to face, even though we know we will be facing so many challenges in every angle. 
but just listen to the feedback and then try to find the way to solve the problems that will be the only way to really establish this IP and make it a franchise in the future. This is Level Infinite is a production of Pad and Pixel LLC. Your hosts are Tony Bernhardt Jr. and myself, Brian Crescenti. This podcast is produced and edited by Brian Crescenti, Dave Tack, and Ethan Vincent. Audio engineering and final mastering by Dan Carlisle.